Welcome to The Big Unlock, where we discuss data, analytics, and emerging technologies in healthcare. Here's some of the most innovative thinkers in healthcare information technology talk about the digital transformation of healthcare and how they are driving change in their organizations. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. Uh, it's my great privilege and honor to welcome back to this podcast our a very special guest for today, Ed Marks, CIO of uh, Cleveland Clinic. Ed, welcome to the show. Patty, thank you for having me. Always an honor to be with you. Thank you so much. Firstly, congratulations on your latest book, Voices of Innovation. Thank you. I'm so excited. You have no idea. And while I, while my name is on the cover, I definitely give all credit to those that we had 40 some authors that really wrote the book, the content of the book. And so it's really a, a testament and a thanks to them. I just happen to be the story weaver, if you will. Well, I'm sure it was an exciting process. How did the, how did the idea for the book come about? So I'll give credit to him. So I've been fortunate to serve in organizations where a lot of innovation tends to happen. So they reached out to me maybe four or five years ago, asking me to write a book on innovation and how do you do it? And they have a process for innovation. So I think that's good. It's a helpful tool. And I thought it would be a good idea to use that framework, the path, what they call innovation pathway, to sort of highlight how other organizations are doing innovation along those pathways. That way it's repeatable as opposed to someone with a great idea and happens to have good timing. So with that, I said, yes, I absolutely, I would love to, but then, you know, life happens, we're all very busy and it was really hard to find the time and energy to put it together with everything else going on in life. But I finally hit that perfect spot where we had significant contributions, and a few spare weekends to put things together. So that's how it came about. It took five years, but I'm glad it's out. Wow, wow. Well, let's talk about innovation. It's interesting you mentioned that uh, uh, HIMSS had their innovation care pathways that uh, that they were also trying to you know, get some visibility for. So innovation is a hot topic, right? Everyone is doing it or claims to be doing it. However, innovation is also a buzzword uh, in the same way as artificial intelligence and digital. Uh, what is your definition of innovation, Ed? That's a great point, Patty, because it tends to be more theoretical and it sounds really good when you say the word, but who's actually doing it? And that's why I love the concept of this book and the pathways, because there's a methodology that you can follow. So definitionally, there's thousands of definitions. I'm a pretty simple person. I just think about it as applying something new or old, which is a little bit of a twist. A lot of times people think innovation is invention and it, not, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be. It can be the application of something new or old, but in a different way. So let me give you two simple examples. One sort of funny, but actually <laughs> had a lot to do with my thinking along the lines of innovation. And then two, I'll give you a, a very recent example. So. I was traveling one time internationally and I went to the restroom and there's a male urinal and there was a fly in the urinal. And I thought that was kind of odd. And I finished my business. And when I came back to that same airport two weeks later, that's 
different bathroom, same airport. Sure enough, there's a fly in the urinal. And I was very perplexed and trying to figure it out. So I actually looked it up and, and you can actually find this case study where what they did, they were actually stickers. And so they had a problem with workflow and with the amount of effort it took to clean a men's bathroom versus a woman's bathroom. So the men's bathroom, they had to send someone in to clean every hour because men weren't as careful. And so by putting this sticker in the male urinal, they they got to the point where they only had to clean the bathroom once or twice per day. Now that is innovation, but it wasn't necessarily something new. They took a sticker, which have been around for decades, and a male urinal, which has been around for a long time, put the two together and had this new outcome. So that's a real practical, kind of funny example of how innovation works. And then another one I would get, tell you more recently where we're listening to the situation that happens in every hospital and certainly in a big health system, you're gonna have it because of the scale happen much more often. But how often do you have maybe an emergency within your hospital or within your health system? Or another practical way of looking at it is, you know, it's dark out, it's winter time, and you want to have a police escort or a security escort take you to your car, take you to your garage because you're not feeling safe. So within a week, we developed an app that allows any of our caregivers at a press of the button to call for security escort or to call for an emergency if something comes up. So they can just do it real quickly as opposed to trying to find a phone. They just pull out their, their smartphone, press a button. And so it's a innovation, but look at all the technologies. There's nothing new. That's the smartphone that they had. It's geolocation, which we had. So it's just pressing a button and that's the development. So those are two, one funny example, but real. And then one more practical example of what I mean by innovation, where you're applying something new or old or both to develop something and have a new outcome. That's very interesting. In fact, uh, I am very familiar with the, the, the case study of the fly on on the urinals. And in fact, this is the work of behavioral economists. And I happen to uh, uh, listen to uh, Richard Taylor, uh, the Nobel, Nobel Prize winning economist from the University of Chicago, talk about this. And he talks about this in his book, Nudge as well. So it's all these little uh, motivational yeah. uh, that about. This is classic behavioral economics uh, in play. The, the other one is also extremely interesting to me, and I, I want to make a comment about that. So it's, innovation is not just old or new, but it sounds like it could come from something that's been applied in another industry or another field altogether. You know, this, uh, this concept of uh, making sure that people are escorted safely to their cars uh, late at night. If you go to any college campus, they have these blue lights. It's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. That maintain campus security and safety, right? So it's very interesting. So, uh, so Ed, I know, I know you love military analogies, and you know you've talked about voices of innovation uh, as a sort of a field manual. So, do you want to elaborate on that? Yeah. So, the, you have to look at how does the military train people and ensure they follow processes, allow for the variation and innovation. And they do it through, you know, in this case, as a young army engineer officer, it's field manual FM-35. They kind of call it the woodchuck manual. They kind of make fun of second lieutenants and 
young captains who are reliant on this manual. But I, I was very reliant on this manual because I found myself in a place where I was given a commission as a combat engineer officer. And when I showed up for my training, everyone had an engineering degree except for me. I had my undergrads actually psychology. I was pretty clueless when it came to math and certainly engineering. So I paid really close attention in my, I think it was like 20 week school. But when I graduated and I was faced with, hey, you need to build an airport or runway. Or when I did, uh, that was horizontal construction, when I did vertical construction, had a vertical construction platoon, it would be building a camp. Well, how do you do that? Well, you pull out your manual, your FM-35, and you follow the instructions. And then when you do that, you certainly innovate depending on your location, on what sort of materials you use and those sort of things. But there was a framework. And that was the only way for us young second lieutenants and young captains to be successful. So innovation, as we said, is so theoretical. How do you make it practical? So basically, Voices is a field manual. If, it was, if we were in the Army, we'd probably call it FM-39. And anyone can take it and just follow the pathways. Now, there's no recipe for success. There's no recipe for innovation. But it's a framework. So it's better to have a framework where at least you can modify around the edges and sort of stick with the concepts because you know it's going to lead to a good outcome or, or increase the likelihood of a good outcome than kind of winging it. And I think that's the problem with innovation today. A lot of people wing it. Some people get lucky and they make it. But right. mo most of them don't. Most of them end up being failures. So anyways, that's the concept. And when you talk about the mil military analogy, it's a field manual. It's a very practical tool. Right. I'll come back to this again. I think the, the uh, whole notion of having some level of uh, reliability, repeatability in innovation processes, some consistency in order to improve your chances of success. I'll come back to this in a minute. But talking about the book itself, you know, Voices of Innovation, you mentioned it has over 40, uh, 40 contributors. Of course, I am very proud to say I'm one of them. I, I, what, I, what I'd like to ask you is, what were some of the, I haven't got a copy of the book yet. I've ordered it. It should be, you know, it should be coming my way pretty soon. But I have seen some of the chapters uh, while it was in, while they were in the making. So I wanted to ask you, what were some of the themes that stood out when you put the pieces together, and were there any surprises? Well, what I loved when the call went out for con contributors is the fact that innovation. And maybe this isn't a surprise, but I actually got to see it unfold before me. Innovation isn't just for the select few. It's not for the big health systems. Like we're blessed with the Cleveland Clinic and other large health systems that have their own innovation centers and innovation teams, things like that. But that wasn't the predominant amount of contribu contributors that we had. It was really across the spectrum. So we had safety net hospitals and they would call it scrappy innovation, which I loved. We would have other public hospitals like in Spain, the main academic medical center out in Madrid. We would have small hospitals. We would have large hospitals. Then we had the vendor community participate as well because I thought it'd be important to get their take on it and how they view innovation and apply it to their particular or organizations. And then we had a little bit of academics. So it's a really good mix showing that innovation is happening across the spectrum. And again, I can't think, Patty, of one example as I try to go through in my head the 40 different essays 
where it actually came out of a purposeful incubation center. So these are all, so that's another sort of surprise, if you will. These all came just from people like you and I, practitioners out there doing good, trying to serve excellently in their organizations, do the best for patient care, and then innovation happened. I love the way you put it, that innovation is not just uh, within the purview of a select few. I, I, you know, I could argue that innovation happens. Uh, we, I think we could both argue that innovation happens in a thousand different ways on a day-to-day -day basis in organizations at all levels. That's kind of what you were alluding to earlier. Now, you also alluded to the fact that uh, it doesn't necessarily have to come out of a specially set up incubator. But the fact of the matter is that many organizations, many healthcare organizations, including the clinic, have set up special innovation groups uh, to channel new ideas, to harness innovative solutions, and so on. So how do these groups stand apart from what you, know, what you see on a day-to-day -day basis? What special uh, purpose do they serve and uh, why have them? So I, I think they are very important to have. At the clinic, we've seen at the last time I, I had a count, 82 patents come out, not just related to healthcare IT specifically, but in general in for medical. And I'm not sure that would have happened without that framework, because some of these are more very complex and go-to-market strategies and those sorts of things. So I think it can be helpful to have those sorts of facilities. So, but so it takes everyone. It, it, it's really a broad ecosystem. My, my only point, so I, I totally respect, I want to be clear, totally respect those organizations that have that capability because I think it can certainly and does add value. But I don't want to take anything away from the thousands of others that don't have such a capability because innovation can happen any place. And as the book demonstrates, and again, I'll have to test myself, but I think all 40 examples just came out of non sort of incubators, if you will, but just people who had an idea of how to either invent something new or take something that's been out there a while, but apply it in a different way. And again, the framework. So that's, what's helpful. Again, going back to the pathways and the manual concept is, is now anyone can take this pathway and apply it. So that's the nice thing that these incubators and innovation centers offer, right? They have pathways. And so they have expertise in helping people along this framework. And that's great for that organization, like we said, but think about the thousands of other organizations that don't have that. So now they have a simple pathway that they can follow. And in the field manual, they'll see three, four, five different examples from, again, a broad spectrum of individuals and organizations that are doing innovation and how they work their way through that pathway. So there's there's eight components of the pathway. One, just for example, is stress simplicity. And so if you go to that chapter, you'll see three to five organizations and leaders who have stress simplicity in their innovation process and as a result had a very positive outcome. And then you just work your way around the pathway. Again, it's a framework. It's not a recipe and everyone who follows it is not going to have success, but it provides this opportunity, it kind of levels the playing field, if you will. Yeah, yeah, I think you make, I, I think that is very well said, Ed, because uh, you, you just articulated why innovation groups 
need to exist side by side with all of the thousands of day-to-day uh, you know innovations that happen because this whole framework for enabling the development uh, of a patent and then you know validating the technology or the innovation and then introducing it into the standard of care all that requires a structured approach and a methodology and a framework and that's not possible within day-to-day operations so i think you make a very very important uh, distinction there now innovation in healthcare delivery uh, innovation is hard enough but in healthcare it's even harder because we're a highly regulated industry and patient safety is at stake so i i was in a recent conversation with dr toby cosgrove and he said that it takes 13 years for an innovation in healthcare delivery to find itself into standard of care now, that's a long time for innovation to become you know fully uh, pervasive within an organization so should that be a benchmark for innovators to set their expectations accordingly? Well, it is a sad comment, right? That the bench to bedside gap is so long. When I first started in my career, I know it was 30 years and it's since been cut over by 50% as Dr. Cosgrove pointed out. And I think it depends on the area that we're talking about with innovation. So. If you're looking at, and I'm certainly no expert, but as I understand it on the pharmaceutical side, because of all the safety processes we have and the federal clearances, it takes quite some time because of all the, again, all the quality and safety issues. So it's more understandable, but I think we're innovating faster on the edges of, again, another buzzword, but digital. So the example I gave you with our, the phone app that we developed, I think we developed that within a week. So we, right. we heard about a problem and we developed a solution pretty quickly. What, what does take time though, so if we were to say, oh, what, we should take that to market and try to create a business, then that process I think is where things would start to slow down a bit because you know it's a sales process and those sorts of things. And you know, again, you have to, there's a lot of legal ramifications and those sort of things that kind of create that layer of time that otherwise you would shrink that bench to bedside gap. So back to your question, should we go into it as innovators thinking it's a 13 year slog? I don't think so, not when it comes to the digital realm. In general, yes, as the data shows, but in the digital realm, we can move much faster. And I think that's part of the struggle with a lot of startups, right? A lot of funding has been pumped into digital startups and we've seen a very, very high failure rate. There's multiple reasons for that, but one for sure is the length of time that it takes. So if it's going to take a year or two years, it's hard to produce results and your funding can run dry before you get to that point. So that's one issue, you know, that we all grapple with. Right. And let's talk about digital for, for a minute uh, because, you know, digital and innovation are very closely interlinked. Uh, there is, of course, a huge amount of venture capital going into digital health startups. Last year, I believe it was somewhere in the region of eight or ten billion dollars that went into uh, that that went into digital health startups as VC money. Now, we've clearly seen some breakthroughs, right, in the past few years. Uh, for instance, telehealth. You know, telehealth technologies are gaining ground. Uh, we, you know, they they may not be exactly where you wanted them to be, but then they've certainly uh, they've certainly gained a lot of ground and they've certainly gained a lot of mind share. But then the flip side of it is that a lot of digital health startups, they struggle. They struggle to go 
beyond a pilot or two, and many of them just burn through their cash and uh, and disappear. So, uh, what's what's missing in this picture? What advice do you have for innovators looking to make a difference in healthcare, especially digital health uh, startups? I think there's two or three items. One is recognition of the length of the sales cycle. So that's the point that you and I have already raised. The second is deep understanding of the marketplace. And I'm sure all industries say that they're complex. Look at nuclear industry, definitely complex. Banking, financial services, definitely complex. Well, healthcare is arguably right up there, if not higher in terms of complexity. And so you really have to have this deep understanding. It's not just this... It's not just coming up with a great idea and then everyone's going to want to have it and and introduce it. But it's really this concept of workflow. Workflow is king. So you could have a great idea. And we deal with this all the time, right? We're approached all the time. We get 100 new ideas a month. If we were to implement even five of those, they would not necessarily be in concert with one another in terms of workflow. So... You can't, it's hard to come in there with a very specific solution without understanding the entire ecosystem. So that's sort of the second thing, which blends into the third thing, and that is no health system or no hospital is the same as the other. So you could have the greatest product, but if it doesn't integrate with the workflow, it's not going to get adopted. And if you don't understand that whole continuum, and, and I mean at a deep level, not just from reading about it, it's not going to work. So I think that's the other the other part. The, so in other words, it really takes a village for innovation to succeed, uh, whether it is from a digital health startup or any other form of innovation as it relates to healthcare delivery. So, you know, some of the collaborations that they need to be thinking about, you've already mentioned, uh, it's not just between technologists and clinicians, but it's also a support framework, right? The form of executive sponsorship, governance, change management, integration, infrastructure readiness. There's so much, you know, as CIO yeah. of the Cleveland yeah. Clinic, on a day-to-day basis. So what has been your experience at the clinic in integrating innovative solutions, uh, whether they are internally developed, like the app that you just talked about, or something that comes to you from the outside, from, uh, from, a, from let's say, the Silicon Valley ecosystem. Now, how do you integrate these solutions and make it work? You know, the last mile problem, as, as I like to call it, because ultimately, unless it gets integrated into the clinical workflow, it's not going to succeed. What has been your experience? So for us, we take a team of team approach. So no one is doing anything in a silo. So we get pretty clear visibility up front. And so we talk about it all the time. So let's just say we have a business problem. For us, our business problem last year was access. How We had so many patients who were trying to come and see a clinic clinician. And we had capacity to see them but how do we make that transaction as simple as possible and as easy as possible from a patient experience perspective? So working together, so this would be operations, clinicians, IT, working together, we came up with a solution. You know, it's not anything brand new for 
many, but for us, it was an innovation. And so we were able to really set up, you know, more online scheduling and then leveraging our capacity for virtual visits. And we took a multi-prong approach, but working together. So had someone gone out and done their own thing and tried to plug in some application and it wasn't thought out in terms of our overall workflow and how it, how it would impact clinicians or how it would impact technology, what have you, it wouldn't have worked. It would have failed. So by taking a team of team approach, we, we take a business problem and we get together and we say, how do we solve this? And so we bring some technology solutions. Sometimes it's not technology. Sometimes it's pure process. We, I could give you other examples where I was in the mix and it really turned out technology was not really the innovation needed. It was really a process innovation. And so we didn't have to add in a technology component to that. So that's how we accomplish things here at the clinic. And I think one of the things that make us somewhat unique is this whole team of team concept. And so that helps with adoption. So once something is selected, like we are going to, you know, like part of our, our thought is, do we need to have, call, will there be call centers in the future? Will it all be online through robotics and, and bots and, and what, and artificial intelligence and those sort of things. So really thinking about that, but we do it together. We don't do it in isolation. So that, that's the key. If there's one lesson that I would offer, it seems simple, but I know from previous history, it doesn't necessarily happen at all organizations. It's just this concept of team of teams, work things out together collaboratively. In fact, that's one of the eight components of the innovation pathway is collaborate and listen. And another one is about using people with IT and without IT. So there, and then we have another part of the pathway that's co-create solutions and blending cultures. So probably I, now that I think about it, four or five of the components of the innovation pathway have everything to do with the team of team concept. Right, right. I think that is a very, uh, if anything, that could be a key takeaway from this conversation that innovation is about a team of teams and it's you know it's definitely not some lone genius uh, in a in a garage somewhere yeah i had some i had this was funny and i won't name the organization but i, I remember we were starting to do a lot of innovation and it's it sort of grew grew at a grassroots level and i remember someone taking me pulling me aside taking me to task because it was in that person's job description was the word innovation. And they felt that all the grassroots innovation that was taking place and some of the processes that were getting layered in were taking away from what this person perceived as their area of responsibility. And they had quite a bit of trouble with it. And so you could see how that would be so damaging. I, I believe, and I share this with my team, innovation is part of everyone's responsibility. In the clinic, I, I believe that's our culture. Our culture is innovation. It is everyone's responsibility. Awesome, awesome. Coming back to the book, uh, and I, uh, you know, in the last couple of minutes that we have, well, in the book, you managed to pull together multiple voices from a very diverse group of practitioners. And I believe the, the contents have been enormously enriched by virtue of their unique perspectives. So, what was, you know, what would you say was the one big challenge you had in putting the book together? Specifically, did you have to leave out anything or did you feel like there was something missing that you would have liked to see? No, I was very happy. You know, we went through all the contributions we had and we 
had to make some decisions about what goes in and, and what doesn't. We were looking for diversity, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, and we received that. So there was no real surprise there. So we're very happy about it. I think having people willing to share their experiences in a transparent way and taking the time to do it, that's probably one of the biggest barriers to innovation and adoption in general is people taking the time to share what they've learned. And even if it's negative, I always talk about one way to spur innovation is actually to talk about your failed innovations because those can lead, well, one you learn and they can lead to new, new ideas. So it's really, I would love to see that, you know, I could see a second book coming out and full of more stories. And I would love to see our entire ecosystem globally being willing to share more because at the end of the day, the reason we all do what we do is to enrich people's lives and to make sure that the quality of care continues to escalate, to make sure patients are as safe as possible when they have a healthcare issue or what are we doing to encourage well-being and living a, a full life. So that's why we should be compelled to share our experiences. So I would hope that the next time we ask for examples that we would increase the amount by tenfold. We, we had a great response, but I would just love to see it continue to expand because the more we share, the better we all get. And I always say healthcare is flat. There's no boundaries. There's no walls. There's no borders. So we need to share what's going on around the world with one another and learn from every type of institution, whether it's academic or, or a physician practice. We should all learn together. So one one last question, Ed. Uh, these days we you know we often tend to talk about uh, disruptive innovation, right? So I, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on whether uh, healthcare is ripe for disruption, and how should we be looking at uh, disruptive innovation in the context of healthcare? I do believe that we are ripe for disruption, and that really was one of the motivations behind the book is to encourage others give them a practical tool because we have to accelerate. We cannot do incremental innovation because I don't think we're going to go fast enough. So we need to figure out how to disrupt. We can learn a lot from what's happened in other industries. And I think the important thing is as we try to have disruptive innovation, that we remain missional at the core, that our primary purpose in disruption and innovation is to really advance patient care, patient safety, quality of care, the ease of use for both caregivers and patients to interact with one another. So it needs to be missional. I would hate to disrupt innovation for the sake of disrupting and and not be missional. So I think as long as the different partners in the ecosystem all have that missional focus, we need to disrupt as quickly as possible. Ed, thank you so much for being uh, on the show. And uh, wow, what a fantastic conversation. All the best with the book, and uh, I hope to talk to you again very soon. All right. Thank you, Patty. Always a pleasure to be with you. Thanks a lot. Bye now. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Subscribe to our podcast series at www.thebigunlock.com and write to us at info at thebigunlock.com.